Welcome to the Embracing Water podcast. Today I'd like to explore the theme or topic of integrity and courage. So if we just start off with maybe two simple definitions of what integrity is. And one is the quality of being honest and having a strong moral principle or principles. And another would be the state of being whole and undivided. So there are two really pertinent definitions to what integrity is. And we'll see how that comes in the evolution of integrity, you could say. Because I'd like to outline three possible stages of the evolution of integrity. And namely they are the ethical dimension, the dharmic dimension, and the spiritual dimension. Now, the ethical dimension it concerns itself with questions of right and wrong behaviour, fixed principles and rules of conduct. And, of course, this can vary from country to country and from age to age and from group to group. And they're often accompanied with some kind of praise or reward if you follow the code of conduct and some form of censure or punishment if you don't follow it. So, you know, particular groups that might have a code of ethics would be, you know, an association of doctors or a group of lawyers or business people. They would have their own code of ethics, how they behave amongst themselves and with their clients or with the general public. And they would have some way of enforcing that or propagating that or instilling that in their members. Now, there's a huge range of what, you know, these ethical codes of conduct might be. And you could say even there's the ethics among thieves. There's a kind of criminal code of conduct. And their code of conduct might be, we don't steal from each other. So that's a code of conduct. So that you could say they're very ethical between themselves. And I'm sure they, they would enforce it in their own ways. So as you can see, there's a, a huge range of code of conduct that is applicable to different groupings. And really, it reflects varying degrees of conscious evolution. And often the ethical standards uh, don't apply when a person or groupings might be outside your group. So, you know, a religious organization might have an ethical code of conduct, but if you're not within that, then it doesn't apply to you. And we've seen that in the past so where religious organization may feel like that they have the right to dominate or take from unbelievers or heathens or, you know, those who are not converted to their ways. So that's just a very broad spectrum of the ethical dimension of integrity. And you could say, you know, their focal point is designated by the particular group. 
So then we have the dharmic dimension, and this is when we have a focal point of integration around some dharmic value. So dharmic values are values that lead to kind of well-being, spiritual progress, and which help humanity or to bring some kind of fulfillment or progression, to bring about the highest potential of humanity. So, you know, there'll be principles such as freedom, equality, interdependence, and harmony. They're just some of the examples of dharmic values. And then the behaviour and actions that ground these values, you know, are fairness, compassion, trust, service, justice, maybe empowerment, goodwill, generosity. And there's kind of a consideration of the larger whole, whether that's a country or, you know, a group or the world, world affairs. Now this universal dharmic viewer, it really also takes into consideration the temporal dharma of the present state of evolution, what is appropriate for us now. And then it also takes into consideration the swadharma, and that's the really unique and intrinsic nature of the individual and the collectivity, that each individual has a potential in this life, and that's part of the greater universal dharmic potential. So these values can be taken on and implemented by a spiritual group or an association, you know, to help bring about a cohesive standard to a collective. Or it may be a business collective that wants to help and support economical, social, material or political life of a community or region. Or indeed, an individual may take on dharmic values when they aspire to, to evolve, to grow, to better themselves, or to help the world in some way by being an example of dharmic values. So as you can see, maybe this, that this dharmic dimension has a greater reach or scope than the ethical dimension, you know, and it has a spiritual flavour to it, you could say, and more of a kind of sense of past the me and into more of a grouping that isn't uh, maybe so self-centered. So it's kind of a progression, a step. And of course there's not a delineating mark, it's a, there's a, a fading or gradation from one to the other. And then we have really the spiritual dimension of integrity. And this is the highest level of integrity and can only be achieved when our physical, vital and mental aspects are integrated around the deepest source of our being. So, you know, our physical dimension is our body, while our vital is our feelings, emotions, energy, along with that dynamic 
faculty of action and will and execution. So that's our vital being and very important to materialize things in life. Then we have our mental aspect, our mind that is, which is really open to knowledge and higher law and it seeks to understand life and maybe the best way to live. So really those three aspects of our being, our physical, vital and mental, have to be integrated around the deepest source of our being. So that deepest source of our being, you could say that's the spark of divinity within us and that's sometimes called soul. As we evolve, our soul has more and more the ability to guide us directly. You could say from the inside out. It's our inner guide and it emanates the divine will. It is no easy task to learn to uncover and to know and to trust this inner guide, this inner knowing or the deepest aspect of our being. It is really an arduous path that requires time, discipline and surrender. And there are many, many pitfalls. Many, many. And, you know, for our minds, and particularly our vital energies, are so conditioned and in many cases traumatized and so egoic. Egoic in the sense that they're selfish. They're looking out for oneself, you know, this, what about me? And that's the biggest hurdle, to get past that self-centeredness. And fear, anger, worry, grief, efforting. Efforting in the sense of efforting for myself, a kind of a forcefulness, a grabbiness, a, with a strong desire. These all mask our soul. And they can be so loud and so convincing especially when we're under pressure or threat, when we are activated or when we're hypnotized, in that when we're under the sway of group think or group beliefs or group pressure or group threat. And then we can, you know, we fall in line, so to speak. The groups we find ourselves in can be one of the biggest limiting factors in our own awakening, in our own expression of integrity, but also the very challenge we need to exercise our spiritual potential. So, you know, I remember for myself in my first initial awakenings how hard it can be to see the world so different than the majority of people. That there's a kind of magnetic pull from the majority to conform to its way. A kind of an expectation to conform. And that, you know, you're odd or different or there's something wrong if you don't. And sometimes you even put that on yourself. You know, 
I'm seeing the world so different than the majority. There must be something wrong with me, or why is that? So one can fall into doubt. And that's part of that, you know, magnetic pull to come back into cohesion with the majority. But then you're at the also at the level of consciousness of the collective and majority, which is a very limiting factor at times. You know, there is a surface mental, vital and physical formation to humanity that has a vibrational field that is difficult to break free from in terms of spiritual awakening. But also in this time, really, of human evolution, there's a huge potential for a collective shift. There, the old forces of control that you know have their percentage of humanity firmly asleep at the wheel, so to speak, unconscious, just going along with the kind of old patterns of fear and aggression, and and caught in that cycle of activation, and often not very in touch with their own soul. This is not to demean anyone. It's just when our own surface nature, which is our mind, vital and physical, is at a certain density, the soul cannot come forward to influence. And then if our ethical values, or even indeed our, you know, individual or collective values, aren't at a high standard, then we go along with that. Because our soul can't guide us into another another way or a deeper way to come to a more kind of, you know, into deeper values, into dharmic values, or indeed into kind of a spiritual dimension of integrity where we can hear our own soul. Not hear in, as in a voice, but where we're in touch with it where we know it directly and where it can influence us, where our own mind, vital and physical, is no longer fighting or resisting or ignoring the impulse of that quite inner impulse that tells us what's good, true and beautiful, that tells us what's integral to us, what's integral to our evolution, and those around us. You know, so that's a certain percentage of humanity. It doesn't mean they're not any less than the rest of humanity. It means for whatever reason, their instrumental nature is at that density. Could be from trauma. You know, that soul can't come true. Each soul is equal. And each has a challenge when it comes into this life that it has a certain instrumental nature to try to guide, to help it evolve, to manifest the divine will, so to speak. So that's a certain percentage of the population. And then there are those who are just kind of half going along. They kind of suspect something is up, but, you know, they're not sure, and it's just easier to go along with things and you know, the crowd is generally right and it's safer to go along with it. And again, that can be from, for different reasons, the kind of inertia or laziness or fear, or that they have to protect family or, you know, and of course this has been 
displayed in our world at the moment quite, quite distinctly. And then there are those who really have the ability to admit and to speak up, the kind of integrity and courage to admit and speak up. Because maybe it's because of, you know, their level of integrity allows them to get over any fear of our instrumental nature, you know, that your mind might say, oh, but it's not safe to speak up. But they'll say, well, it's really important to speak up. That the soul's evolution grows as much within the challenges of life. It's not always in being safe. It's the challenges of life. It's sometimes being different, speaking up and knowing Really, it's expressing integrity, grounding integrity, not as an ideal or an idea or a set of codes that you give lip service to, but that you live it. That doesn't mean we you know, have to put ourselves in danger. If it's not safe to speak up, you have to judge that for yourself. Sometimes it's just a matter of speaking to one friend just to begin to ground our integrity, to admit, to look at things. You know, for me, it's such really a blessing to be part of this life and to partake in the divine awakening to itself, both individually and collectively. And, you know, wherever you are at with regards to your dimension of integrity, you know, that's right for you. But it is really important to recognize where you're at in this evolution of integrity and also what the potential is. So then you know, oh, this is what I'm growing into or this is the possibility. And to see that reflected in others also emboldens us or encourages us to to take a step as well and you know the word embolden then brings us to that courage you know we said integrity and courage and i can bring the definition of courage down into you know a very simple very very simple and it's just one 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 way of understanding it but it helps me and you could perhaps say that the greatest courage is that of recognizing one's own shortcomings. That's the greatest courage. I know it has helped me hugely when we can face our own limiting beliefs and fears and projections and blames and jealousies and go, oh, and this isn't, you know, to recognize one's own shortcomings is not to berate oneself or punish oneself. It is to become conscious. And when you become conscious of something, it no longer binds you. And if you can recognize it and surrender it, wow, then that's done.
you know, and I place myself here as well. I too am I'm still evolving. And I pray for the Mother Shakti to transform and serve to my full potential. Also, I would like to suggest an interesting video for you. And I'll provide a link in the description or in the blog post. And it's a really illuminating talk with a professor of clinical psychology who explains the theory of mass formation and how this pertains to our current crisis, or you could call it our current opportunity, our opportunity to evolve, and how people can be kind of blinded and hypnotized into groupthink and group ways. And to really be able to spot it is a huge, huge advantage. You know, that's a very simple maybe exploration of integrity and courage, but it's kind of a, a springboard, so to say. You know, integ integrity, it can be such a very limiting idea, or it can be a valuable potential, or it can be an unbounded lived reality. So don't be limited by anyone's idea of integrity. Find your own soul and know what true integrity is. And you will know it when you find it because it is you, it's the deepest aspect of your being and it has the fragrance of goodness, truth and beauty and it is self-confirming and you realize it for yourself. I wish you all the best of yourself. Much love.